Hey everyone, welcome back to the Church Hurts Podcast. My name is Josh McLemore, and this week my guest is Ryan Shibley. In these weird times that we're in, a lot of us uh, have dealt with doubt and have dealt with um, questions that are maybe a little difficult. And for some of us, our churches don't really allow us to have those sorts of questions. So Ryan and I have a pretty candid conversation about a specific time in his life when he was dealing with doubt uh, and how the church that he worked for responded to that. Um, and have a pretty good conversation about what could churches do better to handle doubts. Does doubt mean that you can't serve in a capacity, um, or is there a way that the church could come alongside you um, and work through that doubt? We have a tendency to help our congregants through doubt, but does that helpfulness uh, extend to our staff members? So if that sounds like a good one to you, then hang around and uh, let's get into the Church Hurts podcast. Hey, so go ahead and tell everybody a little bit about you and give us your kind of, you know, little flyover of your connection to church. Well, hey, my name is Ryan Shibley. Uh, I've been involved in in youth ministry or student ministry, depending on how you might know it, for almost two decades now. Uh, I work in full-time ministry at a church in the suburbs of Chicago right now. I've been there for about three years uh, prior to that, I worked in a, another church for kind of 10 years or so. I've also been involved in, in summer camp ministry as a college student. I got my start in youth ministry when I was a high school student. And, you know, my family, we grew up in church. It was what we did. Uh, you know, dad was on the, the church council when I was younger. Mom taught Sunday school. But when I was a high school student, I was asked by our church leaders to lead a middle school small group. I still laugh at that to this day. I don't think they really understood what they were doing, uh, (laughs) giving me uh, an opportunity to lead a group of middle schoolers. But it was actually in that time that I began to uh, find something that that eventually I understood to be a calling. I wouldn't have obviously called it that as a high school student, but I began to kind of understand like church was a place where I kind of found who I was to a certain extent. Mm. I found a place that I could belong that gave me opportunities to lead. And that calling led me through college. It led me into full-time ministry. Uh, and it, again, it's what I've been doing for almost two decades now, working with students from you know typically that middle school and high school age, especially, but I've done work with younger kids. I've done work with college students and young adults as well. Uh, but I spend most of my time working with middle school and high school students. That's awesome. Awesome. Um, yeah, dude. So I don't know if I told you this before when we talked, but like some of that's my story too. Like I, I led a middle school Sunday school, um, as a high schooler. And, uh, that's kind of where I cut my teeth on what youth ministry might look like. Um, so that's cool. That's a cool little connection point. Um, okay. So the way this show goes, uh, is basically, um, we, uh, specifically if we have a church worker on there, we are, sharing stories of, of church hurt that either we've experienced or that we kind of see as a problem area in the church. And so, um, why don't you just tell us, uh, if you're going to share a story, why don't you just tell us that? And then, uh, we'll walk through that. Sure. I think my 
biggest source of, of church hurt, if you will, all revolves around the idea of doubt. Hmm. You know, I think I, like every other Christian in the last 2,000 years of church history, have wrestled with doubts from time to time. And sometimes it's small things, and sometimes it's big theological things of you know, You start to question what you've been taught or what you've always believed, and, and you go through moments of doubt. And I think that's just as common, if not more, for leaders because mm-hmm. we're dealing not only with doubts about God or doubts about Scripture, but we're dealing with doubts about ourselves and our abilities and our gifting and our calling. And so my kind of biggest source of, of hurt came from having doubts and not knowing what to deal with them. Mm. I was, you know, fairly early in full-time ministry, really dealing with a lot of doubt, not even sure I really believed what I was teaching, feeling like a hypocrite because I was standing up in front of my students every week talking about the Bible and talking about the gospel in this very powerful way and inside feeling like I don't even really know if any of this is true. But mm. also not knowing what to do with that. I think I was in an environment where I didn't have a, a healthy team that I felt comfortable expressing those doubts. I couldn't walk into a Wednesday staff meeting and say, hey guys, I'm I'm not really sure the Bible's true, <laughs> but I'm working on this message for middle schoolers, right? You can't I couldn't do that. Mm. But I also cared enough about our students that I didn't want to mess it up for them. I mean, yes, I had doubts, but I could be wrong. And I don't, you know, just because I'm not sure about this stuff doesn't mean that it's not true. And if I get up in front of our students and say, hey, I'm not sure about this, I didn't want to mess up their faith journey either. I didn't want to be the person who actually teaches them wrong simply Mm. because I don't know how to wrestle with doubt. And so I was kind of internalizing all of this doubt in myself And it really started to affect me in terms of my own mental health. I struggled deep with anxiety and deep with even depression. You know, I Mm -hmm. I didn't know it at the time. I, it was just what it was until, you know, I was able to get some help with it. And that's what they helped me kind of identify it as was, it was anxiety and depression, but it all manifested, uh, you know, a good amount of it from this idea of, I didn't know how to deal with my own doubt. And so I, it began to shape the way that I thought about myself. It began to shape the way that I thought about church. It began to shape the way that I, you know, did everything. And because I was internalizing this big weight that mm. it affected, it affected so much because I didn't really have an outlet for dealing with those things in a healthy way. I didn't have work relationships that I could sit down with somebody and say, Hey, I'm really wrestling with this right now. Some yeah. of that was fear. Some of that was, you know, I'm I'm paid by the church, right? Like I get income <laughs> from this church. And if I go to my leadership and say, hey, I have these doubts that I'm just not sure about, will I still have a job? I didn't know. Mm-hmm. I because there I and so that was another worry on top of it. What if it what if it comes out that I'm unsure about the Bible? What if it comes out that I don't really know if what I'm saying is true? Well, if I lose my job, that affects my family. You know, we I mm-hmm. lose my job, we lose our house. You know, yeah. I lose my job, my kids, I can't afford to send my kids to daycare. Like, what are we going to do with all of that? And so that just adds another level of anxiety and stress onto me. 
and I've come to learn over the years that that I'm not alone in that. Mm-hmm. That there are so many leaders that are wrestling with doubt and they have no idea what to do with it and they internalize it because we have this pressure on ourselves that we put on ourselves as individuals but also the way our our church leaderships are often structured we don't give leaders a place to doubt and that leads to so much additional hurt mm. yeah that yeah absolutely um so let me let's do this um let's kind of go back into that moment um you kind of start to have you know these different differing doubts, right? Um, you don't really have a place to communicate those. Um, what is, what is sort of the, like, how does that begin? Like, are you just like, like at what point does doubt sort of start to creep in and how did that manifest, you know, you know, for you? Yeah, for me, I think it was a combination of, you know, you, you learn certain theological truths, but then you see how hard it is to sometimes apply those in the real world, right? Mm. Like, like theology sounds great when you read it in a textbook. It's another thing when you're sitting across the room from a high schooler who's being abused by his parents Mm. and you think, well, what does my theology have to say about that? Or you're, you're always told about, allowing the Holy Spirit to speak and it's God who changes hearts. But then why am I so like upset when that message just bombs, you know, like (laughs) where was the Holy Spirit that night when that event or that message or that, that youth group night fell apart? Like where was God then, you know? And also I was going through a lot of things in our own life with my wife and I, we were struggling to have children for a while. A lot of this was happening at the same time. So I was having questions about God there as well. And that, of course, you know, I I would love to compartmentalize life, right? Like I got my Mm -hmm. family life over here. I got church life over there. And the two don't have to always relate to each other, but that's not how we work as human beings. And so I was at this point where there were so many areas of my life where I was going like, well, where's God in that while also having to stand up and tell students, hey guys, God's always with you. <laughs> right. Is he? Is he? Is he? I wasn't sure. And and so like it started in kind of those things. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then just kind of wrestling with, well, well, if that's not true, if this doesn't seem to, if that theology doesn't work, well, then what about that that other one? And if this idea doesn't work, well, the whole thing starts to fall apart. And mm-hmm. and then you start getting kind of into bigger and bigger questions as you're as you're kind of dealing with all of these struggles in your own mind. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, <clears throat> so what's fun, fun about, about all this is you know, everything you just described is like, uh, almost obnoxiously normal. Here's what I mean. Um, like every person that we know has, has gone through some sort of doubt, um, on some level. Right. Um, but, you know, if, if if a parishioner had come to you uh, and said any of those things, you'd be like, okay, cool. Here's how we work through that. Here's how we, you know, we deal with that. Um, what happens is when people work in churches, um, the thought sometimes in church culture is, well, you're supposed to be beyond that now. Um, you're supposed to be able to, to handle that and not have doubts or otherwise, why would you be doing what you're doing? But 
that stuff is so like normal to human emotion. Um, but we have these cultures and in churches that don't let us, don't let us talk about that. Don't let us wrestle through that. Um, and for all the reasons that you, you kind of pick, you kind of brought up here. I want to, I want to talk about some of those. Um, so first of all, this idea of, um, and you didn't, you didn't word it in this way, but this is what I took out of it. So correct me if I'm explaining it wrong. Um, some part of preaching, especially, um, ha- can become, I think a performance, um, in that the, there are things that, you know, like if I do, if I say this, this is kind of going to be the reaction. If I do this, this is kind of what's going to happen. Um, and, and as that starts to become somewhat of a performance, you start to go like, okay, like, is this thing real or is this just a thing that like I'm, I'm doing, does that make sense when I, when I put it that way? Oh, absolutely. And I, and I think I could look at that in a couple different ways of on one level, you know, we in leadership, we know what we're supposed to say from the platform, mm-hmm. right? You know the right words to say, and you know if you say it with the right emphasis, it's gonna get a reaction. And you can say it, <laughs> you know, in a variety of ways. And we all have those two to three messages in our back pocket that we can just give and we know exactly where to where to raise up the volume to get a certain reaction and where to drop it down to really emphasize a point and we can do mm. all that and it becomes yeah as you said almost a performance which then it becomes more and more meaningless to us we just kind of have memorized the script and mm. also at the same time when you're working with students i've always warned leaders give me the right lights music and smoke machine level, I can make a student make all sorts of decisions about their life. When really what I'm doing is I'm not relying on the power of God. I'm not relying on the Bible. I'm relying on emotional manipulation. And, and so because of that, like, yeah, I can make a, a youth ministry event look incredibly powerful, but all I'm doing is just pulling at your emotions. I'm not actually digging deep into your theology and your spirituality. I'm just causing you to feel a certain way because I've, I've said things in the right way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which only adds to that feeling of hypocrisy, right? Like only had like you walk away from that. And for a while it's exciting. Cause Hey, I saw this big reaction after a while. You just start to feel gross. Cause you're like, I didn't actually mean anything I just said. Mm, yeah. And, and so that's what happened. So I, I, I wanted to pull that out because I think people that don't speak or preach for a living, um, maybe don't get the dynamic that some of us are are wrestling through, um, where we do we do acknowledge that like I know the things to say to get your kid to come to the altar, like I just do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we make that joke about you go on a weekend retreat. Day one is this, day two is this, and day three is the night that everyone cries. Right? Absolutely. Um, and and so, like we know that, and so there's a there's a way to wrestle with that well. Um, and kind of understand that, like, maybe preach against that and speak against, you know, work in your heart to, to present messages in ways that don't kind of play off people's emotions. But as we're wrestling through that, what I think happens is, um, you know, I think you have the enemy can get in there and be like, okay, well, if all you're doing is playing off emotions, then maybe this stuff isn't even real in the first place. Um, at least that's how it had has manifested in my life at times. 
Um, and it's really hard to fight against that when you are very aware that like the way I talk about things affects the way people respond. I'm cognizant of that. And at some point I can even point out in, in my life where I've used that, you know, to my advantage. Um, I saw a documentary one time and I, I can't remember now the, uh, the evangelist that they were speaking of, but he was like, his parents were evangelists and he was like raised to be an evangelist too. Um, and he would, uh, I think there was, there was something about like a cross would appear on his head when he was preaching. And it turned out Mm. to be this whole, this whole like parlor trick that they had worked out when he was a kid. And he was like wildly successful, but later in life was just like, yeah, I don't believe it. Like, I think the documentary crew maybe was filming him as he was doing it. He's like, I don't believe any of this. Like, I just, I know what to say. I say this here, people are going to fall over. I say that there, they're going to come down to the altar. And I, I saw that or heard or read about it. And I was like, crap, like, do I do that? Hmm. (laughs) Um, Not on that level, but like, do I do that? And I think what our enemy has really good at doing to, to us that do this for a living is to be like, well, if it can be manipulated, then it's not real. And that's not true. I mean, like, this, this just not, but that thought can get kind of embedded, um, in our minds. And then it does, it can kind of start to pick at what you, what you think about the things that you've been taught. Um, and like you said, you kind of, you pick at one thing, you're like, well, if that's not true, then, then that can't be true. And if that's not true, then that must not be true. Um, and there's, I think there's healthy deconstruction, but then there's also, um, you know, the other side of it that where you just kind of allow yourself to fully give in to doubt. Um, and then it's kind of hard if you're alone, especially it's hard to pull yourself out of that. No, absolutely. And I think that that ends up being one of the big reasons why that deconstruction can be so painful is that, you know, especially when you're in leadership, that when we don't allow people to really deal with deconstruction, there's never an opportunity to, for reconstruction, right? Like that's, that's kind of the way it's talked about that you, you build a faith and then there's a period of of deconstruction, but then you, you rebuild or you reconstruct something new. But when we don't allow people to have an opportunity to deconstruct any of their preconceived notions or their old theology that, that, you know, maybe wasn't as true, then when it all, you know, if we don't allow them to do that, we don't give them an opportunity to rebuild it. So when it falls apart, then it just falls apart. Mm-hmm. And then that's what leads to the crash and burn so often is there's because there's not an opportunity to rebuild something, to wrestle with it. It all just breaks. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, with the church that kind of when you started going through this, um, I mean, at, at, at some point, did the church kind of f- figure out that you were kind of in this space of like having to deal with some doubts and if they did, like what was the reaction there? I think the church saw me dealing with mental health in a variety of ways. Mm. Um, I don't think that initially they would have been like, Oh, Hey, I think Ryan's dealing with some doubt. Um, Right. But I was able, you know, I had enough relationships that people kind of caught on that I wasn't myself Mm. Um, because as it was, as it was manifesting in these, this mental health crisis that I was going through on top of just having spiritual doubts that they saw that happening. But even then 
it's really easy for me to talk about my mental health. Hey, I'm not feeling great right now. I am feeling depressed. I'm, I'm dealing with a lot of anxiety. That's even easier than to say, hey, I'm dealing with this, but I also am questioning a lot of things about God. Even then, because of the environment, because of even the where I had grown up and the systems I had grown up in and the leaders I had grown up under, who I never saw doubt, that I mm. assumed, well, as a leader, you're not supposed to doubt. So I'm not even comfortable saying in this environment, hey, I'm dealing with these doubts. I'm kind of, I'm com- more comfortable talking about mental health I'll talk about that all day in a, in a staff meeting. Hey, I'm, I'm really anxious today. I'm feeling kind of depressed. I didn't feel safe. I didn't feel right. Still even attributing that to doubt that I was feeling. Mm, yeah. And that's interesting too, because I think there are people, um, and it comes down to the church culture that you're in, because I think there are people who would be just as uncomfortable talking about mental health. Um, I saw some statistic out there that was, it was, I don't even remember the number now, but it was just a study done about how uh, pastors who are depressed very often don't come forward about it because they're afraid of losing Mm -hmm. their jobs. Um, And so there would be cultures where kind of the discussion of mental health and around mental health is, is probably better. Um, But there still are churches where it's not. And and it comes down to um, this, this fear uh, of, the loss of income that I kind of was kind of the next thing I wanted to, to kind of talk about a minute um, that you kind of talked about going through and, and thinking through because there is this element, whether it's doubt, whether it's something else where, because the church is where you get your paycheck from. Um, mm-hmm. And also simultaneously the place where you are supposed to be worshiping God and also the place where you are shepherding other people um, into a better understanding of God. And while you're struggling through doubt, right? Like all these things kind of coalesce and, um, it's, it's kind of a mess. Um, even just having the church be the place you're getting your paycheck from. And I say this as a full-time church worker is difficult at best. Um, because it creates a lot of stuff, um, in your understanding of God and your understanding of like what your job is. Can you just kind of walk us through as you were going through those doubts and, and, and those frustrations? And then you thought, well, if I did tell somebody like I might lose my job, like what is that? What is that doing inside of you as that's happening? You know, I, the best way I can describe it really is just a sense of fear because I knew that my family we live off of a certain amount of income in order for mm-hmm. things to work. This is what we need to have each month. And the fear that I had in my life was if I show myself to not be this leader that the church assumes I am, that the church needs me to be, that that is going to come with a loss of job because why mm-hmm. would they – keep me in leadership. And and some of that comes from that we had our you know leadership is a very you know high position in the church and you you're expected to live this certain way. And I can agree with that in a lot of ways that I think that there's a a calling for leaders to set the example in in how we live, but sometimes that gets manipulated into being you have to be this impossible person. You have mm-hmm. to be this this superhero like person. And sometimes we put that on ourselves 
that it's not actually true. And sometimes our church cultures put that on us, that this is who we're expected to be. And so I worried that if I didn't match that standard, then I'd lose my job. And I, and I would have understood to a certain extent, but I was mm. terrified and it was easier for me to just push everything down than it was to express that. And looking back on it, it's because, you know, I struggle with feeling rejected in so many areas of my life that I didn't mm-hmm. want church to be another place where I felt rejected, where I, you know, didn't have a spot. As I said, growing up, church was a place where I found who I was. It was a place of safety. Mm-hmm. But if I express doubt, am I going to lose that? Am I going to lose this safety net in my life, not only emotionally and spiritually, but financially as well. I, mm-hmm. I couldn't risk that. And it was terrifying to me, the idea of if I talk about what I'm wrestling with, if I talk about how I'm feeling, if I talk about where I'm struggling, I, I can't risk my family not having what we need in order just to express those things. So it was, those were the feelings that I was carrying in myself yeah. during that time. Yeah. Mm. I want to, I want to, I want to ask a question. So you talk about, um, you, you think, have this problem outside of this, this situation of, of, um, rejection. And what would it have meant for the church to have, I mean, to have rejected you at that moment? It would have meant everything to me because for so long church was where I found myself. It was mm-hmm. the thing that I had determined. This was the calling of my life. I remember moments in college of sitting and really wrestling with what would it mean to follow a life of ministry and and going into full-time ministry, truly believing this was what I was meant to do. And then coming to a spot where I was like, well, what if I was wrong the entire time? Mm-hmm. And I don't want to lose, not only do I want to lose this job, I had friends in that community. I I cared so deeply about our students, as I said. I didn't want to lose any of that. And, right. and so it's it's so much more than just the paycheck. Yes, the paycheck was a big part of it, but there was so much because of the relationships in that church. There was so much that was tied into, I don't want to lose any of that, that it was terrifying. There were sleepless nights of like, I'm wrestling with this, but if I talk about it, I lose this. And so how do right. I deal with that? I feel like I'm losing God over here and I feel like I'm losing relationships and stability over here. And I don't know which one I'd rather lose right now. And it was mm. difficult to to wrestle with all of that. Yeah. Because I mean, look, those people, <clears throat> if you're doing church, right? Like these people are the people that you can go to. They're your family. They're your support system. They, um, you know, and, and when you go like, okay, if I'm honest with these people about where I'm at, I run the risk of losing access to them. Um, and on top of that, does that mean my call? Like I was wrong about my call. Like there's so much wrapped up in that, Mm -hmm. um, that I just, I just don't know that people always understand. Um, you know, I, I think of it, so I'll say it this way. Maybe this makes sense. Um, something that every pastor I, I've ever come in, co- in contact with struggles with at some level is numbers, right? Um, do we have enough people? Do we have enough butts in the seats, right? Like, And hear me out. I think there are people who do a better job at that at other, than others, right? Um, and I think that 
is also a spectrum. It changes. It, it wavers. I've been. I've had times where I don't care how many kids are in the room, as so long as we're working on on kids and teaching them Jesus. And I've had other times where literally I felt like my world was shattering because the number didn't show up that I thought would be there. Um, so I, I've not been consistent in that. But people people in the church can come up and and they can make comments and and say things about that. Um, and you expect them to right be people to you expect people to be like oh. There wasn't that many people at, at church today, or there wasn't that many people at youth tonight. Um, but that like simple statement, not only does it like hurt initially because it's like you're saying I'm not doing a great job, but it also, it, if that is your version of what a good job is, but also, if I'm not doing a good job, why am I not doing a good job? Is it because I'm not really called to this? Is it because I've been mm. like making this whole thing up? And it's this spiral that happens. Um That is like, it's really weird to explain to people who haven't gone through it, but I think everybody who has kind of understands what I mean. Because ministry is spoken about as a calling, and it is a calling, um, but because those are the words that we use, um, to kind of come at it and be like, in a a way that feels maybe flippant in that moment, um, is to call into question your calling. And if you're not willing to walk I guess this is my point. If you're not willing to walk through that with a person, you're you're poking at something that is is a delicate balance on a good day. Um, and I think people need to understand that. Does that make Does that make sense? No, absolutely. And I think as much as the struggle can come from when the numbers don't work in your favor, I think the reverse can be true as well. That I think sometimes ministries can see incredible numeric growth. And then when the doubts enter in, that only adds Mm. another level of complexity, right? Like, wait, I thought I was doing this right, but now I'm dealing with all these things and I'm terrible. Like, what if it all falls apart? That's where, that's where we were in a sense. Um, You know, that's where I was at as a leader was when I came in, we saw some great growth in the youth ministry at this church and, we were seeing, you know, numbers double, triple of of weekly attendance, mm. and then in the midst of that, I'm dealing with these doubts. So now, so wait, I thought I was, I thought I was on the right track here. We were seeing right. some great things. What if this whole thing falls apart now? Uh, and so I think both can be true. That I think the 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 leader who's dealing with, I can't seem to get people to respond, is going to deal with doubts. And then leaders like myself of I've seen people come, but I'm not really believing this right now. What if this all falls apart? Both can be true. Um, And I think leaders can be struggling on both ends of that spectrum. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, Okay. So tell me how you get out of this. Cause I mean, we've kind of have spent some time down in the Valley here, but how do you, how do you specifically you get yourself out of that place? It involved a couple different, things and all of them tied to different relationships because it had to be a point where I had two choices. It was either deal with what I was wrestling with to dig out all the junk that I had shoved down inside of my soul or to just back away from ministry because I was going to burn out if I didn't do anything. And I didn't want to, you know, I was just done feeling how I was feeling and it was time to to deal with it in one way or another. And the, the avenue I chose to take was to 
to deal head on with some of these doubts and to talk mm-hmm. about it. And it didn't, it wasn't as though I said, like I walked into that Wednesday staff meeting and kicked open the door and went, Hey, I don't believe <laughs> the Bible today. All right. <laughs> it wasn't, it wasn't like that, but it was about, okay, if I don't feel comfortable in this whole setting yet, who can I talk to? And mm-hmm. thankfully I had leaders in our youth ministry team, you know, volunteers who I had gotten close with over the years that I could sit down with and say, hey, we need to have a conversation, but this is you and I talking. This isn't church leader and volunteer talking. This is this is friends having a conversation. And to kind of start articulating how I was feeling. You know, getting getting a therapist and, and talking talking with a therapist. I can never encourage leaders more about therapy. Uh, it can make mm-hmm. so much of a difference. And so I had that opportunity to talk with another person who was a Christian but who wasn't shocked by anything I had to say that I could sit in and be like, I don't know if God is real. I'm not sure the gospel is true. And they don't look at me like, how dare you? You know, Mm -hmm. we don't get any of that, that I had a, a a safe sounding board for that. Uh, Finding the right relationships on our church team that I would kind of be able to have some of these conversations with. And then the, that just allowed me to learn to be comfortable articulating these things. Mm. And then that just started to build. And then you get more and more comfortable because, wait, I talked to that volunteer and they didn't quit our ministry team. (laughs) I talked to my therapist and they didn't kick me out of their office. I talked to my wife about it and she's still by my side. You know, I talked with a, a fellow staff member and they didn't immediately go to the senior pastor and try to get me fired. Like, wait, this, this might be okay. And it wasn't Mm -hmm. as though like I had perceived things wrong about our culture. I think our church culture was still very much the leaders don't deal with that. Leaders don't go through that. They're they're stronger than that. They're they're more spiritual than that. I think that was still there. But I found enough pockets of people that I could turn to that I was able to kind of push back towards the that that kind of cultural undertones that were going on. Mm. To even the point where I started getting more comfortable talking about doubt in front of our students. And Mm. it wasn't, again, you don't, you don't get up in front of the middle schoolers and say, Hey guys, question everything you've ever been told in church. (laughs) It it wasn't, it wasn't that, uh, although I may be more comfortable with something like that now, but at that time it was simply like, Hey guys, like this is what I'm dealing with. And, you know, we get up here every week and we pray together do you ever have a time where you're just really wondering if prayer even works? Cause mm-hmm. that's kind of what I'm wondering about right now. And that brought yeah. freedom to our students. Like you, the, I saw middle school and high school students like open up because suddenly church wasn't about like just knowing the facts. It wasn't about just regurgitating the information. It was like, wait, we can be real people. Mm-hmm. Like, Oh, like, and again, none of that happened overnight, but it was, you started to see it. The more comfortable I got talking about doubt, especially in the context of our youth ministry, the more I saw freedom in our students. Like mm-hmm. it wasn't, it wasn't as though my doubt pushed them away from God. My doubt actually helped them come closer to God because they saw that doubt was okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I, I think, you had some really good, well, yeah, great points, but there's some stuff in there that I want to, I want to kind of piggyback off of. I think, 
Um, I've seen that to be true in, in my student ministries is at any point that you can be real to students um, and they can see that you're not just like the perfect person um, or uh, let me back up. They can see that you're not pretending to be a perfect person because they already know you're not perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you can acknowledge it um, and, and not in a way that's like, I'm going to drop a bomb in your theology and then walk away, but a way that like, Hey, sometimes I wrestle with this. How do, how do you, do you wrestle with this? Is this something you're feeling? Um, it does. It opens up a, a freedom um, to be able to have those conversations and something that they probably are not hearing from from the larger church, um, and there's a million reasons why. But the main, I mean, part of it is in the same way that we kind of expect um, our leaders to be at a certain level. I think sometimes churches expect adults to be at a certain level too, um, and like they're more willing to like you go over there, teenagers go over there, hang out with the youth guy figure your junk out and then come back to us and don't ask questions. Um, But what we're doing in student ministry is if we're allowing kids to come into those spaces, um, I think we're making better adult Christians um, because they're not going to have to be afraid of what happens when I doubt or what happens when I sometimes feel like my prayer isn't working. And they, and, and we get that by modeling to them healthy ways to do it. No, absolutely. I think, you know, our students, as you said, our students are already so aware that we're (laughs) not perfect people. Our students are so good at, you know, sniffing that out really fast. And they want us to be real. They want us to be transparent. It's actually the thing, the biggest difference I've seen between like student ministry and adult ministry in the church. I think, so often adults expect their leaders to be a certain way. Mm. And that drives so much of the way our churches deal with culture, the way that our staff teams are structured, that our students actually thrive off of transparency. And sometimes in our larger you know, worship gatherings, we're afraid of it. Uh, we're afraid of people like being too transparent perhaps because then it would force us to deal with our own struggles. And so we want our leaders, we put them up on a pedestal. We want we want them to say the right thing and do the right thing all the time and and to be these perfect people that sometimes even unintentionally as as church goers, that's mm-hmm. what we do for our leaders. But in a in a student context, that that dies out real fast. Our students just want us to be real people and nothing I can do impresses them. They just want me to be real. Right. Right. And I, you know, I, I, interestingly enough, I don't, I don't think that ever goes away. I think it's, it still is living in the hearts of your adult church members. Um, I think we have just created a culture very often that is communicated um, sometimes very directly, but indirectly too like you've arrived now. So leave that kitty stuff back there. Um, but what I, what I think would happen if churches would be a little more open to talk about things that are difficult, like, like what we're talking about, I think it would awaken something in our churches, um, that maybe, maybe they're missing. 
maybe we're missing. Uh, maybe I, I don't know if I'm putting too too grand a scale on that, but that's just a, a thought that I've been having as I've been kind of mulling this over. Well, no, you know, I don't think that that's off at all. I think you know, as we talked about a little while ago, in our churches, if a church member or someone who comes in from even outside of our church walks into our office and sits down and says, "I've got a lot of doubts about God." we as leaders would do everything we can to walk with them and to allow them to express that and no theological doubt or untruth that they could state in that office would cause us to throw them out on the street. You know, mm. We would absolutely, we would want that. We would encourage that. Even in our sermons, we tell people to like, be open about your struggles. But mm -hmm. for some reason, when you get past the front row of the church and you hit that platform, those rules don't apply sometimes. And sometimes that's because we put that on ourselves as leaders. And sometimes because our people who are sitting in the chairs are looking to us and saying like, no, I've got my struggles. You can't struggle because I need you to be the anchor in my life. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. So question then, because I think, um, you know, we're having a conversation here about like, uh, how, how do churches respond if you're in a leadership position to doubt? And, um, let's assume that you were to, you were to take the same, like if you're that person in the office, but now you're a, a, a staffer, right. And you have that same conversation. I have these doubts, yada, yada, yada. Um, I think a lot of churches would say, maybe make the argument that like, oh no, we would be fine to walk you through those doubts, but you can't be in the pulpit right now because you have those doubts. I mean, why is that not a good response? Like if someone's having doubts, like you pull them away, you kind of minister them. Why is that not helpful? Well, and I think that isn't usually helpful because it, it just kind of shoves everything into the corner. You know, mm -hmm. we've all got that closet in our house or that drawer in the kitchen that is just full of stuff. And we <laughs> just pretend that it's not there, right? Everything else mm -hmm. can be organized around it. But in the back is this room, is this drawer, is this closet that is just piled of everything we don't know what to do with. Mm -hmm. And when we do that with leaders, then we unintentionally, out of, uh, probably out of a desire to protect our people, out of a desire to best minister to other people, we take our problems in leadership and we shove them in the corner and we act like they're not there. And then that only adds more anxiety to the leader who's struggling of like, well, wait, I was open and now I'm, I, I took a step down. Now I'm not seen as a good leader. Now I'm not, right. uh, you know, I'm kind of pushed to the background, but also it says to our people like, Hey, we don't want you to know what's going on behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. And whether it's, you're talking about doubt or you're talking about bigger issues that we've seen in churches over the last decade plus that when we shove things in the corner, that's never the healthiest way to deal with it. Now, mm. of, as we've said, that doesn't mean we we turn over the pulpit to a leader who just wants to get up and say, well, I'm just going to tell you all the reasons why the Bible's not true. You know, that's <laughs> not healthy either. Like if that's the position where you're in, if you've come to conclusions like, I don't agree with the theology of this church, then yes, absolutely. The pulpit's not a place for you. Mm. But if you're just like, I'm not sure but I love you all as people and I want to be on this journey together. That is a message we need in our pulpits. We yeah. need the people who say like, 
I, I'm wrestling with all of this. Guys, and we pray together all the time, and I'm not sure that prayer does anything. Guys, we are worshiping, and these are the lyrics that we're singing, and I'm not sure that I believe it, but we're here mm. together in this. That is more powerful than any seven-point systematic theology <laughs> lecture I've ever listened to in my life. And yeah. we need to provide people with that opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I agree. And um, thank you. Thank you for responding to that because I think there's a lot of people that were that would just go, well, you're still asking me to make a jump uh, by allowing someone to stay in that position. But I, I think there's a, a realness in acknowledging that you're working through things, um, acknowledging that like, you're you're trying to come to a place uh, of of healing through that with your with the people that you're under or that are under you. Um, it, it just it opens up a conversation that we don't have time for today about like there's so many other situations in churches where we decide that you're not worthy of the pulpit for now and we come up with a timeline of how you're going to get back and how you're going to be restored. Um, and it's a conversation I'm kind of constantly having about like who are we to say. Um, I understand there are places where you just, like you said, you just can't be in a pulpit at that point. Um, at least in that pulpit, you may be at another one, but, but I always struggle. I struggle with that. Um, at what point does the, does the authority of the church to be like, we got to get you out of there. And I think you're right. There's an effort to protect our people. That is probably not a bad one. Um, but when it does damage to these other people, the people that are, are serving in our ministries and working in our ministries. Um, I just think we need to be cognizant of the damage we do when we say like, okay, you're broken, go over there now until you figure it out. Um, so that's why I wanted to, to unpack that. Absolutely. And I think all of that has to do with relationship, right? Like mm -hmm. do we have the sort of team of leaders in our church where those kind of decisions are made very business-like, very formally. It's either A or B, and if you're not A, then you're out. Is it done that way, or is it done in, in, a, in a relational, I can sit and talk with these people, and we're on a journey together, and I know that, well, ultimately, my struggle might result in me taking a step away from ministry for a while. I know that the first time I utter anything about struggle the next thing out of someone's mouth isn't you're fired. It's mm. we're in this together. That so, yeah, yeah, sometimes doubt and sometimes struggle and sometimes mental health. The best thing you can do is take a break from ministry for a while. If you're in a mm -hmm. situation that, you know, would allow that I would love to see a church that would continue to, you know, pay leaders for a period of time while they're, while they're wrestling with some of these struggles. And mm. but maybe taking a break from ministry is the best thing for you, best thing for your church, best thing uh, for your family. But I don't want church teams to have a have a culture where people live in fear. Like yeah. I want us to be open about those things. I can't help but think that if we had more churches that were more open with each other as teams, that we would have avoided a lot of what we've seen in churches over recent years. Maybe mm. not all of it. Sometimes leaders are, you know, it's more than we can walk through in a relationship. But whether we're talking about doubt or we're talking about something else, is do we have the type of culture in our churches 
where people can talk about how they feel without fear of being kicked out, without fear of losing that paycheck, without fear of being shunned simply for expressing how they feel inside. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, let's do this as we kind of start to, to turn a corner and wrap this up. Um, what would you have to say to somebody, um, like a person that's going through dealing with doubt, worried about if, if I express my doubt, I'm going to lose my job. Uh, is this call on my life? All these things we've been talking about. What would you say to that person today? You know, to, to the leaders who are, are struggling with doubt, you know, if you're listening to this podcast, know that you're not alone. That's, I felt alone when I was dealing with doubt because I had been around great Christian leaders who looking back on it had their own doubts, but I didn't know that. I didn't (laughs) ever see that. And so I felt alone. And so the very first thing I would say to leaders who are sitting back trying to figure out, I don't know how to do ministry because I'm not sure I even believe in any of this right now. Just know that you're not alone that I have been on that road and I have known countless leaders. We could spend the next 15 minutes of this podcast of me telling (laughs) stories of other leaders that I've talked to who have wrestled with doubt. And so first and foremost, know that you're not alone in this journey, but I also want to encourage you to find people that you can talk to, whether Mm -hmm. it's mentors, whether it's former teachers, whether it's your ideally it's your your fellow staff members it's your senior leaders in your church but it's maybe it's your friends it's a spouse or a significant other but find people that you can talk to about it because the more we internalize our doubts that turns into bigger struggles that's going to it's going to manifest itself in something whether it's mental health struggles whether it's uh, other negative behaviors or addictions it will manifest the more you shove down into your soul uh, you, we can't carry that forever. And so before it turns into something worse, find someone that you can talk to, mm-hmm. whatever that might look like. And again, hopefully it's someone within your own church, but find someone that you can talk to. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. That's really good. What about for churches? Um, how can they? How can they do this better? You know, I think it starts with senior leaders and however a church might be structured, whether that's a senior pastor, whether that's a church council, whether that's an elder board, however your church is structured, but from the top down, it needs to be a place of safety. Mm -hmm. Whenever I've coached other leaders or consulted with churches, I've just shown and I have seen over the years how much church culture is driven from the top down. And so senior leaders, whatever that might look like, whatever title that might come with in in your particular church, need to be willing to create a place where tough conversations can happen. You know, I I want senior pastors to have open doors with the rest of their staff where they can come in and talk about whatever they're dealing with. And again, the first thing out of your mouth isn't, well, I'm not sure you can still work here. Like I want senior leaders, the very first thing they say is we're in this together, something like that. And whatever, and then, and then go down the journey from there, but creating the type of staff relationships, the type of, you know, leadership relationships where people can be real, people can be vulnerable. And that's just, it takes senior leaders setting that example, because when senior leaders do it, then the rest of the staff 
that becomes the norm. And then the staff do that with their volunteers and volunteers are doing that with the people that they work with. And suddenly your entire church is a place where people can be real and vulnerable and transparent without fear of losing it all. And then those are the healthy churches that are able to deal with big things when they come. It doesn't mean that all the struggles go away. It doesn't mean that nothing wrong will ever happen in your church just because you've been open with each other, but it's easier to deal with the things when they do come. Mm. Yeah, that's so good. Um, you know, this, this whole thing of churches are, <clears throat> they're your, they're your family in a sense. Um, you would want, we would want our families to be there for, for us. And so in, in these same things, we still, we still want that. Um, so my, my thing <clears throat> for churches would be, um, to extend grace and understanding, to try to remember back to a time when you felt similar things, cause you probably have, um, and be willing to, to go into those areas of, of darkness or confusion, um, to walk through those times with your people. Um, don't leave them alone in, in those spaces. Um, because it only, it only makes the thing worse, right? Um, it only makes, it only makes the thing that they're already dealing with a ton, right? Um, you know, in some cases a a complete, like, like fallout of like, am I called to do this? Am I in the right place? What am I doing? How am I going to, they're in the middle of a crisis here. So, um, extend some grace in that, um, extend some understanding in that, create cultures where people feel, feel confident that while there may be things that have to happen after you make some sort of disclosure like that, that it's not, it's not going to be a, a, a move of retribution, um, but maybe a move of restoration. Um, so that, that's my hope. Um, and then if you're going through that again, like, I mean, I just, what she said is perfect. You're not alone. Um, I mean, I th- like, you know that, but I want you to know that <laughs> like, mm. like, um, like we know, we know there's not a ton that's unique in the human experience, but in those moments where you're going through something like that, it's super easy to think like you're the only one. Um, and I think that's something our enemy's really good at is convincing us that we're the only one. Um, and that must mean that we're inherently broken or wrong. You are not either of those things. Um, you are just like the rest of us. <laughs> um, and, God can still use you um, in regardless of how you feel in that moment. Um, it's just the truth. Um, and I hope that if, as we start to change church cultures to accept that truth and to, to speak life into people who are in these uh, places of, of darkness rather than snatch the rug out from under them as so often happens. Um, I think if we can, if we can get ourselves in those spaces, we can, we can be a better church moving forward. Um, so that's, that's just where I'm at with it. But yeah. I think that's beautiful. And I also want to, you know, we, we've talked about what do you do when you're dealing with that or how do you change a culture? But I also know that there's a lot of churches out there that are doing this right. And Mm -hmm. so if you look at your church right now, if you're in leadership, or even if you're just a member of the church and you're listening to all this going like, I don't get it. What's the big deal? My church does this all the time. Thank you. 
for mm, being a yeah. church that understands it. And so I encourage leaders that are listening to this, um, staff members, volunteers, church members, that if you're listening to this and you know all these good things we're talking about sounds like your church, that keep that going. You know, I am, I'm working with a church right now. I'm, I'm part of a staff where talking about who we are and being transparent and real is part of our culture. And so mm-hmm. I've been on both sides of this, that I've been part of churches where I was afraid to share how I was feeling. And I'm, I'm part of a church now where it's, it's the norm and to do anything otherwise would, would feel strange. And mm-hmm. so I know that there are churches that are doing this right. And so thank you to those churches and to those leaders that have prioritized creating this type of culture in their church. Yeah. Yeah. And for those churches that are doing it right, I mean, speak loudly. I mean, talk, talk to other people and in, in, that, you know, that other, other senior pastors, other church staffs, um, model, model to them what you're doing. Um, because the more, the more churches that can be in a place where we're willing to walk our leaders through, through difficulties, um, the better off we're going to be, the safer those places become, um, and that not just for your staff, but then for the people that are that are in them as well. Um, yeah, you know, I mentioned earlier, you know, pastors that feel like they can't talk about you know mental health issues in their churches because they may lose their job. I mean, the suicide rate in pastors is huge. Mm, um, it's heartbreaking. It, it it is, and it comes from a place of not being able to talk about these things. Um, and so it's just something that we've got to get better at. So if you're, if you're one of those churches out there doing it right, um, think about what it would look like to, to show others how you do that, to, to lead other, other churches even into, into those spaces, because we need, we need more people like you. So, um, help make that happen. Um, cool. All right. Well, Hey dude, so thank you so much for coming and and hanging out and talking with us and sharing your story and and being open. Uh, I hope I had a blast. So I hope you did too. It was fantastic. Really appreciate you, uh, being willing to talk about not only this topic, but you know, all these other issues that are coming to the surface. It's stuff that more churches need to think about. Mm. Well, thank you so much, man. And thank you guys for listening. Um, Oh, real quick. Where can people find you, man? Absolutely. So the best ways to get a hold of me, uh, I'm on Twitter at Ryan Shibley, just my first and last name, but I also do work with other churches, other leaders, you know, I mentioned kind of coaching other leaders or consulting with churches. If you want to know more about the work that I do, uh, my website is Ryan Shibley, again, just my first and last name.com. So those are probably the easiest ways to get a hold of me. Uh, so reach out. I'd love to kind of continue these conversations with people. Perfect. Perfect. Well, thanks so much, man. And thank you guys for listening and we'll see you next time. Bye. guys for listening hopefully you enjoyed this episode if you did please be sure to leave us a rating and a review that helps us climb up those ranks if you want to contact us with your story of church hurts you can reach out to us at when church hurts us at gmail.com 
Or if you're on the Anchor app, you can actually go and leave a voice memo and we will be able to listen to that on the show and talk about it on the show. So if that's something you would like to do to retain your anonymity, you can totally do that. We want this to be as safe a place uh, for everyone to be able to share their stories and, uh, and be able to heal from it. So thank you guys so much and we'll see you next time.